to run without encumbrance. Freedom to run without encumbrance. When I heard that, I immediately thought of the verse I'm going to read to you, Hebrews 12, 2. So I'm going to talk to you about encumbrances today. And let's read it. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every what? Weight and the sin. So notice there's weights and there's sins. Which so easily ensnares us, entangles us, gets a hold of us, that sin. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto who? Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Look what it says. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. And where is he right now? He is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, deliver us from encumbrances this year. Help us to drop that weight. Drop those weights to lose the weights that are holding us back. Now, church, I want you to pray and say, Lord, today, speak to my heart and move me forward in the purpose of God for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him before you sit down, you're going to drop some weight today. Amen. I need a little more monitor up here, please, Tyler. Thank you. Wow, these are great, great verses, and I, I love them. And the Bible says, listen carefully to this. The Bible says that we're in a divinely appointed race. Every one of us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, would you raise your hand? All right. If you know that you're going to heaven one day, keep your hand up. You know it. All right, let me tell you something about you. The Bible says that we Christians are in a divinely appointed race. It's not a casual, leisurely stroll through the park, tiptoeing through the tulips. It is a race, and it's characterized by four things. Let me show you what what characterizes this race. And I want you to say them with me. First, a definite aim. A definite aim. The race that we're in has a definite aim. Paul called it the prize. The prize. And he went on to say, it's the prize for which... God is calling us up to heaven. Now, I think the biggest prize when we get to heaven is going to be looking into the face of the one who died for us and who we love, though we haven't seen. That day, we're going to see him. But he said, we're in a race that has a definite aim. Now, the second thing about it, it has a God-appointed path. Can you say that with me? An appointed path. It has a definite aim and an appointed path. God set the path. It says, the race he himself has set. Before us. So God has set before us not only a definite aim, but a path, a racetrack that we're to run on. That narrow way Jesus talked about that leads to life. So there is a definite aim and there is a, a God appointed path that He has set before us personally. But then a third thing about the race is it, it's a race of steady progress. So definite aim, God-appointed path, and steady progress. The Bible says that we are ever to be 
reaching forward to what lies ahead. See, we all ought to be further along in God than we were a month ago. For sure than we were a year ago. This is a race where we are not to be standing still and certainly not to be going backward, but to be going forward, ever reaching forward, reaching to what God has put before us, to what lies ahead. And then the last thing I see about the race is it's a race of strenuous effort. Let nobody tell you that Christianity is some walk in the park, some cakewalk. It's not. Christianity is a strenuous race. You know what the Bible says? The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violence must take it by force. That doesn't sound like passive Christianity to me. There are times, folks, that we gotta, we have to wrest something from the devil's hands. There are times that we've got to press forward whether or not we feel like it, whether or not we're up to it, but we still get up and we press forward in faith because we're in a race that has an aim, a path, a progress, and requires strenuous effort. So say with me, there's an aim, there's a path, there's a progress, and there's an effort. Now, in order to win this race where there's an aim and a path and a progress and an effort, we're called to do four things. Let me just give them to you real quickly. One, lay aside every weight. Can you say that with me? Lay aside every weight. Now, notice he mentions the weight before he mentions sin. Lay aside every weight. Now, the Greek uh, uh, phrase there, lay aside, those two words, really are, are the same thing as if I unbuttoned this jacket and just took it off and laid it down. Just laid it down. It means that something is on me that I take off and I lay it down, and I leave it on the ground. I leave it there, and I move on down the road. So we are to take off, lay aside every weight. But then he says also, lay aside besetting sins. Besetting sins are sins that beset you. Besetting sins are sins that easily entangle you. And we are to lay them down. And then he says, once you've laid aside the weight and laid aside the sin, run with impatience. Some of you caught that. No, we're not to run with him, but we're to run with patience. You ever notice that faith is wonderful, but if you don't have patience, you're not there to receive what faith brings you because you quit before you get the prize. You quit before you get what you're praying for. Listen, you have got to, you have got to wed faith with patience. So he says, run with patience the race that is set before you. And then we're to stay focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're not to look at people, not to look at circumstances, not to focus on ups and downs, mountains and valleys, fiery trials, not to focus on any of those more than we stay focused on Jesus, who is the author of our faith, and he's going to finish our faith walk. So can you say with me, lay aside every weight, lay aside every sin, run with patience, and stay focused on Jesus Christ. Doesn't that sound good to you? That sounds good to me. Now, I believe the most neglected of these four commands, when you read Hebrews 12 too, the most neglected, I've heard very, very few messages on laying aside weights. In, in churches, you're always hearing about laying aside sin. Deal with the sin, get rid of the sin, repent of the sin. But you know what? 
He said weights before he said sins. Let us lay aside every weight. So he has distinguished between weight and sin. So apparently weights are not sins. They're something else. And they're important enough that the writer of Hebrews named it before he named the sin. So what in the world is a, is a weight? Because the Lord talked to me about this on New Year's Eve. I want you to be free to run without encumbrances. And an encumbrance is a weight. The word weight that is used in this passage is a Greek word that, go, that, that is uh, pronounced onkos. Onkos. And it means a burden, an encumbrance. A weight is not sin in itself. Or the verse would not have distinguished between the two. But a weight, here's what it is. A weight is anything that hinders you in the race. It's a drag on your legs. It's a drag on your running. It's a drag on your walk. It slows you down. It hinders you. It weighs you down so that you cannot run as fast as you normally could if you weren't weighted down. Let us lay those weights aside and run. So you got to do get rid of the weights before you can run. With patience. Weights can be, and you need to know this today, they can be legitimate. They can be something very legitimate. As a matter of fact, many times they are legitimate things, but they still hinder us in our walk with God. Uh, weights encroach on our fruitfulness. Weights uh, rob us of our peace and our joy and our productivity. Weights weigh us down. Now, I think most Christians are very aware of sin. When a Christian sins, a Christian generally knows they've sinned. They say, oh, God, I sinned. Please forgive me. But you know what? I think a lot of the times we're not aware of the weights. I think a lot of the times the weights are so disguised to be something we ought to have on us that we don't even think about getting them off of us when, in fact, God sees them as weights that are tying us down and weighing us down. Now, he used the illustration of a runner. And here's what he was thinking. He was thinking of the Olympic Games because the Olympic Games, uh, Greece had, had Olympic Games. Rome had Olympic Games. So when he talks about running the race with patience and getting rid of weights, he has in mind Olympic runners who were very, very careful not to encumber themselves with anything that was heavy. Now, church, I'm going to get right down to where we live today. I want you to listen very carefully to this because some of you, are weighed down with weights and don't even know it. But you can't run like you normally could. You can't run like you normally would. And you wonder why you're tired all the time. You wonder why you're worn out all the time. You wonder why you've lost the umph, why you've lost the gusto, why you've lost the zeal. You wonder why the thrill is gone. You wonder why Christianity has become a duty instead of a delight. Because what does it, a lot of the time, is weights. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to run a race with all of your might, do you wear an overcoat? No, you don't. Or do you wear dress shoes like I have on right now? I couldn't get down the street in these things if I was running. Or what about long pants? Are you going to go out and run a race with all of your might and you want to be the winner? You want to be number one? Are you going to wear long pants and dress shoes and an overcoat to run that race? And yet a lot of people are weighted down with those things. They can't run their race because they've got 
weights. Here's what Paul said. He said, if you're going to bother running the race, run to win. Everybody say that with me. Run to win. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, run to win. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, don't you realize that everybody who runs in a race runs to win, but only one runner gets the prize? Run like them. Like who? Like the runner who's running to get the prize. Run like them. Run like them so that you can win. How many of you want to win the race? How many of you want to hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen? That's the prize that is set before us. So the, the Olympic runners were very careful not to run with anything that would weigh them down, that would, that would, that would slow them, that would hinder them from doing their absolute best because they all wanted to win. They all wanted first prize. They wanted to get there. So let me give you a a bottom line here. Anything that doesn't help your race hinders your race. Now, I love cycling. I cycle. That's just the way I clear my head and get out there and try to stay in a little bit of shape. Uh, so I cycle. But here's what I've noticed. When you get out there and you're going to go a long, long ways, I don't go a mile or two. I go 20, 30 miles, 40 miles. I get out there and I go. Now, I've noticed when you're going to go a long way, the last thing you want is something that's weighing you down, slowing you down, sapping your energy, or requiring more of you than you really have to give. So you lighten up. You lighten the load. And I've noticed that sometimes you don't know what the weights are until you go a long way. And when you're going a long way and you're really racing and you're pushing it, and it's going to take everything you've got. You start noticing things that you don't need and you want to get rid of, or you're not going to be able to reach the end. That's a weight. That's a weight. Mark chapter 10, verse 50. You have a blind man named Bartimaeus, and Bartimaeus hears that Jesus is walking by. And you know what it says about Bartimaeus? Mark 10, verse 50 says, Bartimaeus yanked off his old coat and flung it aside jumped up and came to Jesus. Why did he get rid of the old coat? He said, wow, the one I've heard about, the one who's going to heal me, the one who might open my eyes, he is walking by, and I'm not going to have anything on me that hinders me from being able to reach him. So he took his old coat and he flung it away. I want you to notice the old coat didn't matter to him until he wanted to get to Jesus. And when he wanted to get to Jesus, Jesus, he didn't want anything that would slow him down or hinder his race. And that's a beautiful picture of a spiritual truth. If we're going to run towards him, walk with him, run with him, minister with him, fulfill his will, sometimes we have to take off old coats. Things that are weighing us down. Sometimes we come to the altar to repent of sin. You know, sometimes we ought to come to the altar to repent of weights that we've allowed to be there. Say, Lord, forgive me for this weight and, and, and leave the weights in the altar. That's what the altar is for. Just leave it there. What's your weight today? I'm not asking how much you weigh. What, what Do you know of anything holding you down? A person, a place, a thing? What is that thing in your life that's not wrong in itself, but it's hindering the race that God has set before you? Think about it. 
The Bible says it is necessary to lay that aside. As a matter of fact, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. Then let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, you know what Jesus said about walking with him? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say my yoke is hard and my burden is heavy. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So guess what? If it's a weight instead of a wing, it's not from God. Doesn't the Bible say, those that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall run. Everybody say run. Run. Run what? Run the race. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. And even though the young people all around you faint and fall, you older folks will keep right on going as long as you're waiting upon the Lord. And he says, they will mount up with wings as eagles. So what does God give us? He gives us wings, not weights. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, let me talk to you about three weights. I got to thinking, well, then, Lord, what are weights? What are weights? I, you know, I know what sins are, but, but what are weights that can, that can really drag us down? Let me give you three real quickly. Are you ready? First one, the first weight is unnecessary business. Unnecessary business. Now, listen carefully. Watch this. What a person becomes involved in, any business they become involved in in their life that God has not called them to, he takes an unnecessary burden onto his life. Let me ask you this question. Before you commit to something, do you ever say, Lord, are you wanting me to do this? Is this what you've called me to do? Now, we're a church that is fueled by volunteerism. I'm going to tell you, we could not do it without volunteers. So with every one of these points, my staff is going to be wincing because it's going to sound like I'm talking to you out of volunteerism, but I'm not. I want volunteers, but I want volunteers who have heard the Holy Spirit say, that's what I want you involved in. So do you believe that God cares what you're involved in? Do you believe he knows about what you commit to, what the businesses are that you get involved in? Do you believe that God cares about that? Of course he does. So an unnecessary burden can be business that God hasn't called us to be involved in. Somebody said to me a while back, they said, Pastor Jeff, you've got to. And they told me something I had to do. Something rose up in me and I said, no, I don't have to do anything that the Holy Spirit doesn't give me a peace about. So I said, no, I don't have to do that. And see, we, we so easily get involved in things that God has not called us to. In Jesus' parable of the sower, he told a parable of four seeds, tale of four seeds. And one of those seeds was seeds that fell among the thorns. And Jesus said that seed is choked. He said the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word that we become unfruitful. Wow, well, what chokes the word? Because the word is living in you. The word is living in me. We have all been born again by the incorruptible seed of the word of God. But guess what? Jesus gave us a tale of four seeds, and only one out of four made it. And he said the one out of the four that made it was the good seed that fell on good ground and grew up and bore good fruit. But then he told us why the other three didn't make it. And he said one of them didn't make it because the cares of the world choked it. That's a powerful word. In the original Greek, it means to strangle. So you, you, the, the cares of the world, unnecessary business involvement, unnecessary busyness 
choked the word until that person became unfruitful. And they became stressed and uptight and didn't bear any fruit. No love, no joy, no peace. They became unfruitful. So Jesus gave us that little parable to warn us, hey, don't become overly involved in busyness to the point that the word is choked in your life. Can I have an amen today? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen? You know, sometimes the most anointed thing you can say is a two-letter word. No. Sometimes that's the most anointed thing you can say. The request to become involved in yet another commitment, another ministry, another task. Sometimes the best thing you can say is no. You know, we're not to burn out. We're to burn on. I want you to say that with me. As a Christian, I'm not to burn out. I'm to burn on. Jesus didn't say you're the lie of the world until you fizzle. Jesus said you're the lie of the world. And, and so we're to burn on and not burn out. So God gave me this this week. He who burns the candle at both ends will eventually melt down. I'm patting myself on the back because I really did come up with that on my own. I didn't read that anywhere. He, he that burns the candle at both ends will eventually melt down and too much involvement will become a weight. And there's some of you in here, you're burning the candle at both ends. And if you're not careful, you're going to have a meltdown. And you drop out of church, you drop out of prayer, you drop out of the word, you go off and do your own thing, and you wonder what happened. Because God sometimes wants us to notice, hey, I'm weighted down. These things that I'm doing, some of them are not necessary. God hasn't called me to them. So the first weight is business that God hasn't called you to. Now let me give you a second weight, debilitating distractions. Can you say that with me? Debilitating Distractions. Well, that was about three of you. I'm going to try that again. I'm going to wake you guys up. You're too worried about the Cowboys in 30 minutes, two minutes. I probably shouldn't have even have said that. Don't you turn your iPhone on. Say with me, debilitating distractions. See, what a lot of people don't realize is our enemy is the master distractor. He's a master distractor. And there are times that distractions come into our life for the sole purpose of getting us out of what God wants us doing. The Bible says it's the little foxes that spoil God's vineyard, spoil the vine, spoil the fruit on the vine. It's the little foxes. Now, the use of the fox as an illustration, here's what he intends for us to get, that it's the sly, the crafty, the unseen, the sneaky things that come into our life that end up spoiling our fruitfulness as believers. So not only business God hadn't called me to and being too wrapped up in busyness, but also these debilitating distractions. There are a million and one things, folks, that are vying for your time today. Thank God you're in church today because I guarantee you, you had to make a choice to come, especially on a day like this. You had to make the choice to say, you know what, I don't feel like it, it's nasty out, and there's a lot of things that want my time, but you chose to come to the house of God and be fed the word of God. So you made the best use of your time you possibly could have. Amen. But in any given day, there's a million and one things that are vying for your time, competing for your attention, wanting the attention of your mind. And it matters. Here's why 
your time is under attack because time is what God gives us to accomplish his will. You know, why are we here? Why are you here? Why am I still here? Because God's given me time to do his will. And he's given you time. You've got time. You've got today. You've got today so far. God's given you time. For what? To do the will of God. And time's a funny thing. Once it's lost, it's never found again. Time used is time you never get back. Whatever you spend it on, and you can spend it on anything. You can waste your time, squander your time, spend your time, take your time for granted, be bored with your time, or you can redeem your time. Redeeming your time means you are giving your time to God for the glory of God, and you are involved in his will for your life. That's when you redeem it. You're buying it up. You're purchasing it. You're using it for the best thing. Do you know that it's good and, and, and it's easy to do? It's easy to give your time to a good thing, to a productive thing, to a worthwhile thing. But are you ready? You can give your time to all those things, but it may not be the best thing. Church, there's a huge difference between a good idea and a God idea. One zero, but oh, the difference it makes. There is a huge difference between good and best. And we can use our time on a lot of good things, but it may not be the best thing. Listen, if I were the devil, and I'd already lost you to the cross, I'd already lost you to Jesus, you're already going to heaven, and there's nothing I can do about that. Once you're saved, you're saved, and if there's nothing I can do, you're going. But if I were the devil, and I knew that I'd lost you, let me tell you what I would go for secondly, and I know he does. I'd go for your time. I would go to distract you. I would do anything I could to keep you out of doing kingdom work so that you would not get the rewards and glory you could get if you gave your time to kingdom work. I would distract you. I would be the master distractor. I'd weigh you down, if you let me, with a million and one distractions I want you to think about Mary and Martha. I love this story. I'm so glad the Bible tells the truth about the people in it, Martha and Mary, two sisters, and then their brother Lazarus, and it says Jesus loved them. And one day, Jesus came to their house. I wonder how we would get ready if we knew Jesus was coming to our house. Because Jesus, get this, he walks in and he sits on the couch. Can you imagine that, church? Jesus sitting on your couch? And you know what he began to do? He opened his mouth and he began to teach. Now, if I'm one of them, I am in front of him. I've got the doors shut, the shades pulled, the phone off the hook, TV turned off. I've got every, I am, I am going to sit there and I'm going to listen as long as he wants to talk. But that wasn't the case because when Jesus went to Mary and Martha's house, two different kinds of people came to the fore. One was a doer. The other was a listener. One was all caught up with the cares of this world. The other was totally focused on Jesus Christ. Those two sisters couldn't have been more diametrically opposed, more antithetical to each other than they were. And it says that Martha was in the kitchen, and you could hear the banging and the clanging, and, and, and Mary's in there, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet while he talks, which is right where I would be. But there was Mary listening to Jesus, and the banging and the clanging got louder and louder, and finally, the Bible says, Martha came storming out of that kitchen. She had a meltdown right in front of Jesus. <laughs> of course, we've never done that, right? 
she had a meltdown right in front of Jesus. Now, listen to what she said. She said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve here alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. In other words, she was saying to Jesus, sick her. How many of you have this week said, oh, Lord, I wish you would take care of so-and-so and so-and-so and, -so and Bop so-and-so and chase and so -and -so. Come on. Y'all have got some halos on today that I don't think are real. How many of you have ever said, Lord, why don't you pay attention to what this person is doing? How are they getting away with it? Why won't you do something? Yeah, that was better. Now, so here she says, tell her to help me. And you know how the Bible assesses Martha's problem? It says, it says Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted. Now, let me ask you a question. Is serving bad? No. But she was distracted. Her serving had gotten to the place where it was distracting her from Jesus. Do you know that sometimes we can get so busy with the work of the Lord, we forget to get in touch with the Lord of the work? We can get so plugged into the work of the Lord, we forget to spend time with the Lord of the work. Sometimes you can get so busy with the work of the Lord, you forget why you're involved with the work of the Lord. distracted. She's distracted with too much serving. Distracted actually means in the Greek language, dragged in different directions. Do you feel that way? Does this describe any of you today? Jesus looked at her and he spoke to her after she, he had said, get my sister, get her in this kitchen, get her in here to help me. Jesus spoke to her. And he said, Martha, Martha, now I'm going to use your name twice, you're in trouble. Jeff, Jeff. If he says to me, Jeff, Jeff, I know I'm in for it. Martha, Martha, look what he said. You are careful. Watch this. You are careful. That means worried and troubled about many different things. See, Jesus sized her up. Jesus knew exactly what her problem was. Martha, you're worried about all kinds of stuff. And you're troubled about so many things. So in one sentence, he nailed her. And then he said, but Mary has chosen the good part, the needful part. He actually says one thing is really needful, Jesus said. One thing is really need needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, and it will not be taken away from her. Now, again, that word needful, you know what it means? It means one thing is a necessity. Jesus looked at this woman and said, hey, you're so busy and troubled about serving and you're worried about all these different things, but you need to realize that Mary has chosen the one thing that is a necessity in life. Listening to my word and spending time with me. That's a necessity. I tell our staff all the time, if you were in a staff meeting, you would hear this. I tell them, Whatever you do, don't ever get away from your devotional time with God. Because if you drift from your devotional time with God, you have just set yourself up for a shipwreck. Because we're only as strong as our last time with God. And you never get so strong in God that you don't need God every single day. What did Jesus say? Give us this day our daily. He didn't say our weekly, our monthly. He said our daily bread. And so... You can't let your personal time with the Lord ever go. See, Mary had chosen the necessity. It's necessary to get with God on a daily basis, or you're not going to run the race like you should. And my point with you today is this. 
that sometimes it is distractions that take us away like it took Martha away. And instead of listening to Jesus the one time, he was going to be in her house before her household exploded with the death of her brother. He was there before a tragedy struck. And one of them took advantage of it, and one of them didn't. Because can say with me, spending time with Jesus is the number one necessity in life. He was saying, Martha, the things you're so busy with, they're not bad, they're not wrong, you're serving, but your top priority should be putting me first. That should be first, that should be top. So there's the weight of unnecessary business, the weight of debilitating distractions, and then a last one I want to talk to you about that you might not guess, but here it is. The third weight is being a people pleaser. A people pleaser. Well, Pastor Jeff, isn't that what Christianity is all about? Pleasing people? N-O. Some of you are going, well, that doesn't sound very spiritual to me. It's all about people. Oh, it's all about people. But it's only all about the people God is moving you to reach and moving you to touch. It's not about jumping every time someone says jump. We are to serve others. The Bible says we've all been given a gift. And the Bible says that we are to use that gift to minister to one another. That's First Peter. We're to use that gift to minister to one another. So, yes, we're supposed to. We're supposed to lift the load off our brethren. We're, we're to care for our families. We're to reach people for Jesus Christ. And we do all of those things. But here's what I'm talking about. I want you to hear me on this one. It is the belief that we've got to jump in response to every request and expectation of others. Whatever they want, Jesus wants me to jump because I'm all about helping people. No. I want you to say something with me. I'm not called to be a people pleaser. I'm called to be a Jesus pleaser. So when, I, when a need comes to me and somebody says to me, you've got to this and you've got to that, then I pray and I say, Lord, do I have to this? Do I have to that? Or are you telling me to do something else? You remember Jesus, speaking of Mary and Martha, you remember Jesus? He's sitting there in another town, and all of a sudden some, some messengers come, and they say, Lord, the one you love, Lazarus, is sick, and Mary and Martha want you to come running. In other words, jump, Jesus, jump. All right? Now, they went running back, and they said, Mary and Martha, we took it to him. We told him he's on the way. Jesus didn't show day one, day two, day three, Day four, where in the world is Jesus? What's he doing? He said, his sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. God has another plan. So, do you notice with me that Jesus didn't jump every time somebody told him to jump? Amen. That's, that's worth an Amen. Jesus didn't live to please men. He lived to please God. I want you to listen to what the Bible says about this. Listen to what Paul said. Paul said, you can see that I am not trying to please you. He's talking to the Galatian church. I'm not trying to please you. He said, by sweet talk and flattery. He said, no, I'm trying to please God. And then he said, if I were still trying to please men, I could not be Christ's servant. 
Did you catch that, church? If I'm trying to please you and cater to you and do what you want, when you want it, the way you want it, the Bible says I cannot please God because sometimes what you want me to do and what God wants me to do are two different things. And, folks, we've got to learn to distinguish between that or we will burn out being a people pleaser and get so sick of it, we'll wake up one day hating people. I'm not called to be a people pleaser. I'm called to be a Jesus pleaser. Can we try that again? I'm not called to be a people pleaser. I'm called to be a Jesus pleaser. Every Christian is going to have to come to the place where the opinions and the expectations of men become secondary to the opinions and the expectations of God. Listen to what the Bible says, and I'm, I'm going to close with this. The fear of human opinion disables you. That's Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of human opinion, what they think, what they're going to say, whether they're smiling my way or frowning my way, the fear of human opinion disables me. Trusting in God protects you from that. So can I tell you, in love, as far as the world at large, I don't care what the world thinks. If I care what the world thinks, I won't preach Christ anymore. And I fully intend to preach Christ till the day that I die. So knowing that, I know I'm never going to have the world smile. So I can't be a people pleaser. Isn't it time the church stood up and said, you know what? We don't care what you think. We don't care what you're going to say about us. We are, we are performing for an audience of one, and his name is Jesus. He didn't call me to make you happy. He called me to tell you the truth in love. So I'm not going to be a people pleaser. Not going to do it. And that's how people get saved. Amen? So say with me, let's stand together, and I want you to say this with me. Let us lay aside every weight of unnecessary business, of detrimental distractions, and of people-pleasing. And then let me run with patience the race set before me. Can we lift our hands up to the Lord today? I love you so much in Christ. I prayed for you this week. I covered you in prayer this week and prayed for God's protection on you. I prayed that he would bless you. And I prayed, knowing what I was going to share, that the weights would come off of your life today. Being involved in things God hasn't called you to. Pleasing everybody and anybody. Believing that that's what God has called you to do. That weights would be taken off of you today so that you can run freely without any encumbrances this year. So can you raise your hands and say with me, Lord Jesus, today, I give you any weight, be it a person, a place, a thing, harmless or legitimate, yet still a weight. I ask you to take the weights off of me. I want to run like I've never run before, faster than I've ever gone, more successfully than I've ever known. Now lift both your hands and say, Lord, take the weight. I want you to name it to him. I just want you to name it to him. We're going to sing a stanza, and I want you to name the weight to the Lord. I want you to name it to him. It might even be a